0: My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm an associate professor of criminal justice at Bowling Green State University. In this episode of the Police Integrity Loss podcast, we listen to a recording of an interview of me by Eugene Purier that originally aired on Radio Sputnik out of Washington, D.C. on August 11, 2017.
1: And we are very happy to be joined here to continue our conversation by Dr. Philip Stinson, who's an associate professor uh, of criminal justice at Bowling Green State University. Dr. Stinson, thank you so much for being with us again. Oh, my pleasure. So, you know, I wanted to start here, uh, I mean, it seems, uh, talking a little bit about body cameras, I mean, sort of an interesting, I feel like we've seen some interesting things here. I mean, certainly we saw the the police officers in Baltimore, where they sort of plant, at least alleged planting of drugs, was shown on camera. We've also seen here in Washington, D.C., uh, a non-indictment yesterday of, of the police officers who killed Terrence Sterling, and that case was controversial because the body cameras were off. I mean, you know, we're, uh, I guess, I don't know, a year in, perhaps, to the First year so far where a lot of police departments are trying to roll out body cameras. It seems like maybe neither side of the debate about whether they would help or not has been proven 100% correct yet. But your thoughts? Well, it's interesting. Actually, the body cameras started
0: to roll out about five years ago, but very slowly and only in a few agencies. And and several things have happened since then. We're still working on best practices. In other words, the Department of Justice is still working on figuring out ways to help local agencies and giving them ideas on what their policies ought to be, what their local ordinances, what their state statutes ought to be, how they ought to deal with this depending on privacy laws in the states and various other things. There's lots of things going on there. There's lots of things going on in terms of the development of technology for these cameras. Some of the cameras that are coming onto the market now, actually the on-off switch can be controlled remotely by a supervisor, not the officer on the street, so it's interesting. Some of the research that's been done on body cameras, and we're still in the very early stages of research on police use of body-worn cameras, but some of the studies are starting to show, at least qualitatively, that one of the concerns that officers have about wearing the body cameras, using the body cameras... Is they're paranoid about how their supervisors are going to use the video recordings. In other words, are they going to be nitpicked on minor rule violations? And I think some of the supervisors are looking at this like, you know, they're crazy if they think we have that kind of time that we just sit around looking for ways to get officers in trouble. So I think that it's really interesting on many levels. I don't know that officers really have a good grasp as to the ways that the body cameras could actually help them. In other words, if there are complaints proven false, if they're wearing the body cameras. And I think in many cases, cases where there are use of force incidents, maybe incidents where there are claims of excessive force by officers. In some of those instances, I actually think that the body camera recordings might, in some instances, help the officers to keep from getting officers in trouble or charged criminally when, in fact, they acted appropriately. So there's there's all these things going on. And then the other thing that's come up, Eugene, in the last few weeks that's really interesting, and I think we're seeing this among other places, in some of the recent allegations against officers allegedly planting evidence in Baltimore, is that with some of these devices, the camera's actually always on, if you will, but it's set up in a way that it records the 30 seconds prior to when the on switch is is engaged so if an officer puts the on switch on it's going to capture what happened in the seconds immediately before that and keep that part of the recording and what we're seeing in some of these cases is that officers have been accused of planting evidence in a few instances where they really didn't think that through that if they had uh, planted the evidence two minutes before turning the camera on it wouldn't have been recorded but we're catching Officers, apparently, in some instances, at least the allegations are that in Baltimore, that they didn't really think this through and we're catching them in their natural habitat, if you will, engaging in what I think are fairly normal behaviors in some police agencies where it's unfortunately normalized behavior with some rogue officers to plant evidence.
1: Mm, Yeah, no, I I think that's a good point. I mean, it's certainly, I I mean, I'm curious a little bit what you thought about that. I mean, what it appeared to be to me and the way this, the way Kevin Davis, the police commissioner tried to explain it, I actually felt hurt those officers because it basically was like, well, there's drugs all around here. So, you know, of course this is, there's no malfeasance. Um, But it looked to me that that explanation sort of spoke to, you know, people being upset that they couldn't get a certain person. And, you know, they're trying to, you know, push, push the ball ahead of time, I mean, it seemed pretty clear to me. But I mean, did you think there was any sort of gray area at all, which I think certainly is what the Baltimore police have been trying to say, don't totally, you know, say that this is what it looks like?
0: We've seen it before, though. You know, there are still people who argue with me claiming that Michael Slager, the police officer in North Charleston, uh, South Carolina, who shot a man in the back and, and millions of people have seen that citizen video from a smartphone. What I saw was that Officer Slager's first thought after he shot and killed a man and he ran up to see that he was down, he ran back. The officer ran back to go back. 30 or 40 feet to grab his taser and plant it next to the fallen man's body. That was planting evidence. That was to create the illusion that there had been a struggle for the taser and perhaps it was being used against the officer. The video evidence clearly shows the officer planted the evidence and yet Slager gets on the stand and and testifies that uh, he doesn't really know why he did that. He did that to plant evidence. That's why he did it. So these are not one-offs. These are not Rare instances. Now, that being said, I want to make it clear that in my research, I, I hope I deal with outliers and not the norm, uh, and that most police officers don't do this. I can tell you that we've known for many, many, many years that some police officers plant evidence on occasion. They there are drop guns that are planted. In other words, a, a, a disposable gun, if you will, a gun where the serial number perhaps has been uh, scratched off that is planted to make a bad shooting look like a good shooting, to make it look like it was legally justified that the person had a gun when in fact the officer uh planted it. You know, those sort of stories have been around for years and we've seen allegations of that over the last hundred years in you know many cases quite frankly, but now we're seeing it with the video evidence. And and, and I don't know that it can easily be explained away that Drugs are all around. So, of course, we saw drugs in the, the few seconds there on the, the video in Baltimore. The fact is we're pulling back the curtain on police behaviors that are normalized in some places with rogue officers or officers who have the opinion that it's almost, it's they call it the uh, noble cause theory, that they justify their behaviors because we want the good guys to win and we're going to get the bad guys off the street and the ends justify the means. And when they have that kind of thinking, you end up with all sorts of techniques of neutralization all sorts of justifications where officers use to justify what, frankly, is criminal behavior in planting drugs, planting evidence, planting guns, things like that. It's, we've, we've just seen it too much. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it, unfortunately. There is something interesting with some of the research that would suggest recently that, just like any other equipment that officers or anybody else where in their daily work, officers quite often forget the cameras are on when they're on. We're going to see more of it. We've seen a few instances recently where officers engage in blatant criminal behavior and it's recorded on their body cameras and they just really didn't think about the fact they had the camera on. We've also seen a lot of instances recently where I would suggest to you that the body cameras are being tampered with and manipulated so that they aren't uh, capturing the video. Maybe they're capturing the audio. In some instances, we've had the audio tampered with as well, or at least there's a suggestion that they're being tampered with. So the the technology is still in its infancy. I think we have a long way to go. But from what we've seen all across the country, I think about a case in Minneapolis recently that it's really gotten me to believe that since we have this technology, I don't know how it's going to be paid for, for all the cloud recording space that's needed. But I think that body cameras with patrol officers should be rolling at all times, both the audio and video, from the time they clock in until the time they leave at the end of their shift.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's probably just sort of practically the only way to really, you know, make it work right. And and I'm glad you brought up that point about internal culture, because I I tend to agree with you, uh, and certainly sort of Studies I've seen of police officers seem to sort kind of bear this out, that it's really kind of a minority of people uh, doing the worst things, but that, you know, certainly internally there's a culture. And I've been thinking about this all week, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. This is obviously subjective, but I've been wondering if part of the reason why— you know, people will not speak out against someone inside of their institution that they know is doing wrong. It's kind of like that mentality you have in sports where it's like, you know, I know this guy's a dirty player, but, you know, when it really gets thick, I want this guy on my team. You know what I mean? So it's like you might not approve overall, but you might think at the end of the day, though, you know, if it really comes down, this might be the person I want to show up as my backup when I'm in a dark alley in a a dodgy situation. I think that's true. I think that's true. And the flip side to that is, I think many police officers across the
0: country could identify one officer who when when things hit the fan, they don't want that officer there because, you know, there's some officers that have the reputation, for example, that uh, when they're backing up other officers that if they show up, somebody's getting hurt. It might be a police officer. It might be somebody else. It works both ways. But I think your point is a valid one that that's really a justification, though. You know, it's really justifying uh, the end justifies the mean. And and I think that I I think we're going to learn a lot more about the police subculture and in the in the socialization of police officers with more use of technology. Now, that being said, I don't think body cameras answer all our questions. In fact, sometimes they raise more questions than are answered. They only see one angle. They only see where they're pointed. They capture audio, which sometimes makes things somewhat Confusing if there's not video to go along with it. But when you start adding in other types of evidence that might be available, security, surveillance video camera footage, smartphone recordings that people make, uh, dash cam videos, I think we're heading in the right direction. And I think that ultimately it's going to make policing safer for police officers and for people who, who quite frankly, right now feel like they're hunted.
1: Well, Dr. Philip Stinson from Bowling Green State University, thank you again for joining the show. We are going to take a break here on By Any Means Necessary on Radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Eugene Perrier. Stay with us.
0: By Any Means Necessary.
1: That concludes this episode of the Police Integrity
0: Loss podcast. It was recorded on August 10, 2017, and originally aired on the Radio Sputnik show by any means necessary on August 11, 2017. Support for the Police Integrity Loss podcast was provided by the Wallace Action Fund of Tides Foundation on the recommendation of Mr. Randall Wallace. My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. For more information on my research, please go to www.bgsu.edu slash lost.